Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind some stocks on a move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 183. Well, just ahead, home building giant Lennar is having some troubles selling houses. And we're going to talk about strip joints, and we're going to talk about school buses, and we're going to talk about fire trucks, and we're going to gauge the health of U.S. consumers by talking about truck stops with the CEO of Travel Centers of America, Jonathan Perchik. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And you can listen to Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, whatever. But if you click the subscribe button, you'll make sure you catch every single show. And the drill down is brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the drill down. We're gonna talk about the business stories, buying some stocks in a move. We don't care so much about the wiggly lines of a stock chart. We want to talk about how the business works. And here to help me explore that is executive producer, Isaac Webster. Isaac? But I do love a wiggly line, though. Really? Oh, I love a, yeah, yeah. Why not? Like the, the one my son, the kinds that, that my son draws. Ooh. He, he, he draws a mean wiggly line. Do oh, you yeah. yell at him when he colors that. outside the lines? No. Scream, Only when he colors scream. on the... Um, I scream. <laughs> Only when he colors on the walls and the furniture, all that kind of thing. <laughs> Which happens oh, every day. Little boys. Well, I want to um, talk about some stocks that are uh, telling us about some businesses. Isaac? You do? You don't say? Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? I was wondering if you would ask uh, that question. Uh, uh, so uh, let's start with Lennar, the, the big home builder, uh, reporting fourth quarter earnings uh, that told us a lot. Uh, Lennar trades under LEN, and LEN shares have risen over 6% this week but they're still down by 17% if you're looking at a 12-month chart. So Lennar, uh, fourth quarter earnings, as I mentioned, uh, out. Showing they had new homeowners of 13,200 new homes, but that's down 15% uh, from the previous year. And gross margins were down meaningfully uh, from 29% a year ago to 25%, roughly, um, uh, a quarter earlier. Um, and so, yeah, the stock was down a little bit. Um, and, you know, it looks like the Fed's intended slowdown of, uh, of the world of business and, and uh, of the economy is certainly working in the housing industry. Uh, interest rates um, going higher uh, are really affecting the ability of, of Lennar's potential customers to buy their houses. And Lennar is responding in kind by uh, sort of changing what the houses are going to be. Um, and and also dealing with inflation uh, uh, in by essentially refusing to to raise to pay what their um, their suppliers and their uh, labor unions are asking for and asking for those people to take less money because they are making less money. Here's Executive Chairman Stuart Miller from Lennar. We are working hand in hand with our partners, um, and given our volume and pickup and market share. Uh, there's a lot of labor, a lot of uh, other people out there that are looking to do business with us. We think we'll be able to bring our pricing down. Um, and additionally, we've been hard at work reconciling efficiencies in the homes that we build 
um, changing product where appropriate and making sure uh, that we are best positioned um, at sales prices, at interest rates that, um, uh, that are higher uh, to be able to access the market and refine our margin as we go through the year. So refine our margin, I guess means get it back up again. I mean, listen, how many headwinds are facing the housing industry right now? This is not, not lot, an easy right? environment to be in if you're Lennar. Yeah, and you, and, you, and you certainly see them uh, taking that uh, uh, in terms of margins um, and taking that hit. And also, uh, one of the interesting things is the way that they look at the acquisition. You know, for mo- many people, buying a home is, you know, it's a, a, a cliche, it's the biggest purchase you ever make, whatever. It's also something people t- tend to stay in for seven years or so, um, but often they think they're going to be in it forever. Lennar looks at the duration for which they own land as a lever that they can use. And if they need to buy land way out for the future, well, then it can kind of pause it. And right now they're shortening the duration for how long they own land before they build. It's going to be interesting to see what the housing market does in Q1 in 2023. Indeed. Corey, what is your next drill down? I would like to look at Rev Group. Rev Group. Now, this is a new one for me. I'm glad you brought it up. REVG is the ticker for Rev Group. And shares have tumbled 2.5% over the past week, but they're still 8% higher in a year. What's going Rev on? Group what is Rev Group? Of, uh, from Brookfield, Wisconsin. They make, uh, speaking of your son, drawing on the walls, stuff any little boy thinks is cool as hell. Fire trucks and ambulances and school buses and RVs. And, and uh, this is a $900 million market cap company. Oh, these, these are the guys about, that, make, they, that make school buses. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and, and a, a big business for them is uh, buses, municipal buses, school buses, um, uh-huh. uh, fire trucks. Um, they also do make some RVs, and that's an important. That's been a, that's been the kind of biggest shifting part of their business, and a business that's been not doing well and kind of flat um, uh, uh, for you know they do about two point three billion in revenues in twenty 2020 twenty and in twenty twenty one and in the last year about two point three billion. Not much growth at all, but a lot of changes within the business. Uh, pretty interesting. Sixty five percent of the revenues come from municipal tax receipts. So they say it's steady, anti cyclical. And it may be that they got $100 million in parts in their business, but it also isn't growing. And uh, the market, the stock market has punished it. But it's a fascinating business. Um, and the RV portion, as I mentioned, uh, although it's only about a quarter of their business, um, is a part that was really shifting around a lot. Um, uh, not least of which, because during the pandemic, people were buying RVs like crazy. And they couldn't get enough stuff to the lot. And now people are buying them less and yet the uh, the sell throughs, uh, the sales to the customers are down, but the dealers are now starting to replenish lots that they haven't been able to have full for years. Uh, and and talking about that here is the uh, chief financial officer of Rev Group, Mark Skonskansky. Easy for me to say. You know our product's not staying on the floor that long. We do we did see a drop in retail sell throughs here, but uh, at the same time. We continue to see good throughput on the dealer lots, and as we talked about before, in the recreation space, the dealers will uh, carry what sells and what moves the quickest, right? So they don't have to incur their flooring costs. So we continue to see our products move through the channel versus the orders dropping off in the reduced um, likelihood of them carrying the units on the on the lots. So some excitement there that they're able to sell a lot more vehicles, even though the end customer is not buying uh, the market. 
react to that. Also, the notion that they're jacking prices, um, uh, which we didn't talk about that in the soundbite, but they're raising prices and they're finally going to have some bigger profits uh, and that might help Rev Group going forward. But interesting to me that this business has been just so flat. Steady, yeah, but growing, no. Well, there can't be that much room for growth in this space. I mean, even with the school pandemic. bus business picked up for them a lot, um, which I thought was interesting. Why is that? And, and reflects people going fleets? back to school. Is that Sorry? also repl replenishing fleets or something? Or It's replenishing old fleets, but there wasn't a lot of replenishment during the pandemic when schools were closed. Uh. And so that business has actually picked up, but they've, they've given it up in other parts of their business. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's go straight from school buses to uh, the first conference call I've ever heard from any public company ever, where during the conference call, they invited all of the uh, investors and analysts and hedge fund managers uh, and so on on the call to a strip joint. Ah, on the call. What kind of Meet call Meet us tonight after this? the conference call at the strip joint on 33rd Street in Manhattan. That happened on this conference call. But to be fair, it is a conference call for Rick's Cabaret, the publicly traded company that uh, uh, owns a lot of strip joints. Oh, you're talking about RCI Hospitality, of course. Trades under RIC, R-I-C-K. Shares have jumped 14% in the past five days and have gained 46% in a year. So strip joints are doing well right now, I take it. Yeah. Uh, I, do you remember when we, we interviewed, interviewed this guy at uh, the LG Micro Conference? Uh, was it a year ago? A little more than a year ago? Yes, I do. It was a really great interview. Yeah. It was a great interview. A fast, yeah. I, 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 I couldn't get enough of this, this the yeah. conference call from earnings. So uh, fantastic earnings results. Uh, fiscal year 22 saw earnings up, uh, earnings uh, revenues up uh, to $268 million. Profits, EBITDA adjusted EBITDA, if you will, of about $87 million. Yes, listeners, $87 million profit on $270 million in, in revenues, call it. That's a 32% profit margin. That's an EBITDA margin. That's not a gross margin. 32%. This is a fantastically profitable business, and it's growing, and it's growing through acquisitions as well as organic growth. So, um, uh, yes, the stock is up, what did you say, 40% in a year and 68% in the last half of a year. And 24% in a quarter. You know, I think any of us would take that in our portfolios right now. But uh, they're doing it also through acquisitions. They bought 15, uh, they did 15 acquisitions and had two reopenings during the fiscal year. Um, they also just announced a big acquisition of, of, of a couple of um, uh, gentlemen's clubs. They call them strip joints interchangeably. Uh, in the Houston area and Dallas area, uh, Baby Dolls and Chica Locus, a Hispanic uh, uh, clientele for that that company and, and uh, that was a sixty-five, sixty-seven million dollar deal. Um, uh, cash in stock, about twenty-six million in cash. Um, and these guys are also getting into the casino business, and they've got a, a fascinating project going on in Central City, Colorado, which is about twenty miles uh, uh, west of Denver. Importantly, kind of right across the border from Blackhawk, uh, where there's a bunch of uh, Native American casinos. And a Bally's casino and everything. They're they're sort of setting this up. They're saying there's nothing in Central City that's open late. We're going to be open 24 hours. They they don't have a license to do this stuff uh, yet. To have to have a strip joint. If they can't get the license, they say they're just going to go ahead and they've got some approvals from from the zoning commission or whatever they call it there. Whatever they call it there is literally what they said on the conference call. But um, they're going to have something close to a, a strip joint uh, in their strip joint. 
Nonetheless, it's been a fantastic business for them. And I thought it was really interesting to listen to CEO. So the whole conference call was fascinating, but I also found a, a, a clip of the CEO speaking to investors kind of more generally about what the company does. Just fascinating um, uh, conversation. So here is that CEO, Eric Langdon. Thanks for coming out, everybody. I appreciate it. Here we have two very iconic brands, Playboy and Marvel. Both these brands were formed in the 1950s, 1960s. Playboy was the fourth largest well-known brand in the world. It was the epitome of cool. Everybody wanted to go to the Playboy clubs, buy the Playboy magazines. They had seven million magazine subscriptions. And today, their number one form of revenue is selling logo bunny t-shirts in China. In the US, they're basically irrelevant because they didn't change, they didn't adapt. And when they did, they did it too late. The next brand is Marvel. And Marvel was basically bankrupt at one point. They came in, they reinvented themselves. They changed their comic book histories. They changed the storylines. They added new stuff. They went interactive online and they got into movies. They sold to Disney for $4 billion in 2009 and is now the largest movie franchise in history. They did that by making changes and bringing in new young people. So what do we have to do? We have to target these new audiences. We have to attract them in ways so we can survive and prosper and build our businesses. They think strip clubs are for old men, like Playboy magazine. What we have to do is show them more about our industry. So how do we do that? You gotta understand what they want. They want real life experience. Things don't mean as much to them. Unfortunately for them, real life experiences are on their screens. What we have to get them to understand is that they have a place to go. They can come to our clubs, they can meet at our clubs, and they can have fun. We can make our clubs the place they escape so part of that is you have to make your strip club more of an adult nightclub. We can't be perceived as strip clubs. We can be adult nightclubs, places where adults go to, to party and play. You have to communicate in his language, in his style, and it's rough. So I've hired experts to come in and help us and to build our Twitter presence to bring this demographic in. But really what you have to do is engage because if you don't engage, all your marketing is absolutely worthless in social media today. If somebody asks a question and nobody ever answers that question, you're totally irrelevant. So I sum up everything with what are you gonna be? You can stay the bunny or you can change, adapt like Marvel did and become a superhero of our industry. So that was a long clip, but I just thought it was absolutely fascinating to hear the way that this guy looks at this business of strip clubs. I mean, one one can you know argue about the relative merits of getting someone off their phones and into a strip joint. But uh, I think it's interesting to look at how he's growing this business, how he understands his business so very well on a, on a very micro level, whether it's a, getting approval to have women take their tops off in their in the clubs uh, at, at some little town in Colorado, or this big notion of, of engagement for a new a generation for this business. But a fascinating business, fascinating CEO. I thought it sounded really smart what he said, actually. And, you know, it's funny, when you brought up we were going to talk about Ricks today, I I envisioned just old crusty old crusty old white men gathered around a stripper pole, and I was just like, oh god! And like that's that's the image that comes to my head when I think of these places. And what he said, what was interesting in that in that call or that speech was that the CEO Eric Langdon gets it. He gets that image. He gets that that is the vibe that they uh, that the younger generation perceives them as. And so yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. He gets it and he sees it and he wants to change it. It's, I, uh, and I still probably won't get around to seeing it. Good, good for him.
Good for them. Hope Listen, the if he bring fun. if he brings in a fun DJ, I could be I could be game. <laughs> I don't think that's true at all. Uh, it's not. It is true. I, it's definitely true. If he brings in a good DJ, I'll check out one of his clubs. Well, maybe uh, you could check out a truck stop because of uh, <laughs> America joins us. And truck stops seem about as entertaining to me as a strip joint at this point in my life. But nonetheless, oh my God, Jonathan Perchik joins us right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent at work that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined right now by the CEO of Travel Centers of America. Jonathan Perchik joined us right now. Uh, and Jonathan, glad to have you. Um, what a fascinating company, your travel centers. Is, is truck stop a pejorative word in your business? Because it looks to me like a truck stop business. I mean, I think it is a truck stop, but I think once upon a time it was, and there's all sorts of bad connotations. I think in the past, I'm I'm proud of, of, of this company, but that name even, I think through COVID, for the very first time, Americans realized truckers are, 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 are a group that are very important. And I think the connotation has changed because of COVID a little bit, and it's more okay to be called a truck stop. Uh, because again, I think truckers, the first word in truck stop have gotten more, and, and for the first time, real recognition that that is, I think, overdue. Uh, and not since the days of Convoy, because uh, I'm old. <laughs> me, you and me both. Movie. It, was a, it was a big trend in the 70s. In any case, um, uh, your business is operating 200 some. How many, how many of these travel centers do you have? 276 and moving quickly. By the end of next year, we'll be in the low 300s, 310, 320 by the end of the year. Is that through new construction or is that through acquisitions? It's acquisitions and it's franchise, which have both been very, very successful. Um, your uh, facilities are known for, um, uh, well, I, let me, don't let me tell you what they're known for. Why don't you <laughs> tell me what they're known for? Well, you know why? Because it would sound ridiculous if it was coming from you saying, well, they're very clean or they're very uh, top, uh, top grade restaurants right. for travel or known to have the cleanest, best showers. But these are facts. This is this is how your business is known and differentiates itself from um, uh, the, the truck stops that don't have that great reputation. It, I mean, it really is true. And if while we serve motorists proudly and will increasingly put effort into that, historically we've served you know truckers. I think and been frankly designed around truckers' needs, professional drivers' needs, and how to serve them. So we do, frankly, it's the simple things: a great, great coffee, you know, clean showers, clean bathrooms a range of food offerings, those simple things are, are what seem to matter to truckers and probably all Americans, but I think truckers in particular. A range of food offerings. You've got, you get a lot of uh, vegetarian truckers. I don't, I don't can't picture that. Well, not necessarily range in vegetarian, but it's funny you say that we, we just recently announced a partnership with Cleveland clinic. When I say recently in the last uh, maybe month or so, where we are actually offering sort of a stamp of uh, approval uh, approved by a nutritionist from Cleveland Clinic to educate drivers and then give them options that frankly are healthy or not necessarily vegetarian. But if you talk to America's largest fleets, we, gosh, we do business with 91% of the biggest fleets in America. All of them care about driver wellness. And so uh, it's funny you point that out, but it is true. Not, not that they're necessarily vegetarians, but they are thinking increasingly about wellness. Yeah. Well, I, I, I joke it. It is an interesting business too. And I, and I, the, the thing that tipped me off to the fact that this really wasn't about leisure travel and Americans on the road in the summer is just that how much of your business is diesel. 
So let's let's talk about the fuel side of the business. Obviously, um, uh, fuel prices uh, all over the world are through the roof, uh, including in the U.S., uh, maybe not as much in the U.S. as it is in other places in the world, in Europe in particular. But fuel prices rising so quickly, um, and and most of your business is in diesel. That's been really whatever, whether it's diesel or, or regular gasoline, uh, it's been fantastic uh, for you guys in terms of, of um, revenues. Um, talk to me about uh, what's happened in that business and how that business works for you. Yeah, I mean, whenever there's the the way we buy and sell diesel, whenever there are there is volatility up or down, and this frankly is a fascinating part of this business. It speaks to the resilience of the the intrinsic business model itself. When there's macro or geopolitical uncertainty coming from places like you, the Ukrainian war and uncertainty around uh, recessive forces or inflation, generally, somewhat loosely speaking, those very forces that tend to be viewed as economically negative create a, a higher margin environment for us. And so it creates this odd, somewhat unexpected, not necessarily intuitive um, resilience about the business itself or the business model. And so we have been enjoying a higher margin environment. One thing worth pointing out when I say that, this is a volume and pennies per gallon game. I mean, for us, when I say higher margin, I'm not talking, you know, 50 cents that we could really help the consumer by passing it through. We're talking low to mid single digit penny differences. So it's really a high volume business, but those couple of pennies can make a big difference to us. And in this supply constrained macro geopolitically uncertain environment, that's a good environment for us for that part of the business. I think it's also super interesting when I look at sort of under the covers a little under the hood, if you will. I'll I'll leave the trucker jokes to the side. There's a lot but, of uh, when I look, I'm sure. But when I look <laughs> under the hood, I see a business where you've got well, seventy plus percent of your revenues are from fuel. It's only about thirty percent of your profits, and about seventy percent of your profits are from non-fuel things. Interesting, and that 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 sort of demonstrates mathematically my last point about this is a a pennies per gallon. Uh, in quotes game the fuel side of it where it's it's huge volume it's like a toll booth lots and lots of volume very low sort of margin per event but when you have that kind of volume uh, it creates solid whole dollar margin from fuel and of course the fuel in, in to to a large extent is that first you know point of that that primary driver that then brings a, dr- a professional driver to us again no pun intended on the driver and they come to us and they consume in the convenience store. They consume in one of our restaurants, our quick service restaurants, et cetera. So it is that first driver that's the entry point to everything else. And it seems to me that the the business of as 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 massive as it is, you know, the business, it's, it's what I like about every aspect of the oil and gas industry. It's really, stu- it's even stupid people like me can figure it out. You stick a hole in the ground, you see what comes out, eventually you put it inside of a vehicle. Um, and, there's, and then complications ensue. But uh, the, the fuel part of the business, while well, it's a, the vast majority of the revenues, it is the thing that brings people, customers into your business. It seems the other part of the business must be very uh, uh, considered and difficult and hard to manage. You know, when, it, when it breaks down, uh, when I look at your, your SEC filings, I see uh, store and retail services, restaurant and truck services as your, as your principal um, uh, uh, revenue and profit sources in the non-fuel side of things. Can, can we talk about each of those just briefly, sort of what makes them work? Sure. So the, the restaurant business, you talk about the variety of offerings. Right. So, we, you know, we have about 175 or so full service restaurants. That's a sit down server serving you opportunity. Uh, and they're fr- frankly quite large. We're, we're doing taking a whole lot of steps to improve those. That's area A. B is our quick service restaurants. We have something like 450 
Starbucks, Burger Kings, a whole litany of, of kinds of, of, of restaurant opportunities tend to be very small footprint, very efficient, and, and typically we have a range of choices, more than one at a travel center. And then the truck service business is probably something we are best at. If there's one thing we are sort of famously best at, if there is, it's probably that. We do amazing, amazing work there, and it creates a real stickiness to the brand in terms of serving big fleets and selling them fuel, and that, that each of them behave very differently. So that, that's, that's repair work, and that's probably more than just fixing tires. It is. The vast majority are those kinds of uh, just more commodity, lower, relatively smaller scope kinds of work that we do. But they're also, we do, we repair trailers in the back and we we don't do sort of a full engine breakdown short of really taking an engine apart, but we pretty much do everything you can do to an engine and the rest of the tractor without taking the engine out or taking it apart. How has that business changed in the last 10 years or so? Drastically. I mean, we now serve our biggest customers behind their gate in their yard. We send a big truck into the yard of a customer and it pretty much lives its life there with a couple of techs servicing uh, our biggest customers on their grounds, untethered from our own real estate. That's been growing very, very rapidly. You know, something called Road Squad is not new, but it's it's also been very successful for us. That's sort of like AAA for big 18-wheelers where they call and say, hey, I'm having a problem. Can you come in? And then the third area is our traditional business, and that's we call in-bay when a driver, often scheduled but not always, comes in and gets an oil change or some other work done on our grounds and, and in our in our in, within our facilities. Yeah, and I see that as about 40% of your non- um, a fuel business or you're, you know, you're not, you're, you're not fuel businesses, uh, in terms of revenues. That's a, that's a lot. Um, what, what's in, I'm just curious cause I, cause if we've talked to, uh, I guess we interviewed Goodyear quite a while back and we, um, uh, um, I looked at, I looked at Valvoline a lot cause my, a, a friend of mine was involved in a hostile takeover of that business or at least demanding some changes in the boardroom. And that was a business that was doing really, really well because the automobile side of things has gotten a lot more expensive for the uh, automobile makers, which is to say really good, or for the automobile owners, which is really good if you're if you're the Valvoline. Has the same kind of cost um, changed for, for truck repairs? Yeah, well, I mean, through specifically through COVID, the cost side has, of course, we've seen a lot of um, inflation. I mean, very significant. And, you know, unfortunately or unfortunately, the fleets are absorbing much of that. We all share our piece. We, not all of that passes along through us. A fair amount of it does. And the big fleets in turn are absorbing some of that and passing it on down the line. And ultimately, when you add that all up, what's it called? It's inflation, right? And so we are sharing in some of that burden, but but passing along a bunch of it too. And um, so that that's clearly been something to have, have been addressed the last couple of years. At 38% of revenues, I see your store business. That's a lot of money for you guys. What's working in the, in the store? The store, a lot of stuff is changing. And again, I keep pointing back to COVID, but, you know, self-checkout was already a thing, right, for us and for others in, you know, grocery stores. But COVID, with that social distancing, I think, has increased the, the pace at which we're rolling out self-checkout. Um, you know, we have to get, it's a competitive business. And with, uh, with uh, you know, inflationary forces at play here, you know, we've had to get more competitive and really work very hard at sourcing alternatives because of supply chain issues, as well as just cost to acquire stuff and procure stuff. So we've really had to up our game in those areas. And part of it too, is we spent, geez, probably 40, or 50, uh, 40 to 50 million last year upgrading primarily our C stores in 50 locations. And we'll do a bunch more as we get into this next year, again, to be more, more competitive. 
What are the items that sell the most and or uh, are the most profitable for you? Oh, gosh. I mean, from, you know, coffee is always a, a, a great, great thing. It's it's very uh, cost effective for us to produce or and to, to dispense and distribute. So that's a good one. And we sell a lot of water, a lot of candy. And we do a lot of business with M&M Mars, for example. And boy, do we, I, I don't know the numbers. One of my favorites, though, I'll tell you, is we sell. This isn't in the C-store, but I don't know why it makes me smile. But we sell, ready for this, 2 million pork chops a year. Uh, there's America has a hot dog day and I don't, I, I'm sorry, I'm regrettably, I don't remember the date it was, but on hot dog day, we sold 50,000 hot dogs in a day. So we sell a lot of stuff. <laughs> wow. Pork chops cooked, presumably. Uh, yes. Cooked. And they're, 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 again, I smile when I say this and I don't know why, but it's a, it's a, it's a particular favorite amongst truckers uh, who, who, uh, who, who come visit us, our guests. Uh, I'm a big fan pork of chops. pork chop. Um, uh, so that, it's a super interesting business. I, I, it seems to me that, uh, you know, when the, when the ducks are quacking, feed them, right? Selling gas with really high gas prices is a good business, but gas prices aren't going to be like this forever. I mean, are you, you surely must be in the business of predicting what's going to happen to gas prices and how long things will stay like this. So let me ask two questions. One is how long are gas prices going to stay like this? Uh, uh, on the high side, yes, they have declined quite a bit from the heights of the summer. But uh, I also wonder, you know, what it means for your business when gas prices do decline. Yeah. So again, volatility. So when and what that is the, the question. Right. So first, volatility. Generally speaking, lots of exceptions. Generally speaking, volatility, mean movement up or down, is is good for our business. It's it's beneficial from a margin standpoint. Look, I, you know, I think in terms of the how long, and I, I have better, frankly, insight into the diesel side, which may be less interesting to your typical motorist. But, you know, if you look at the head of Opus, O-P-I-S, it's a group, it's an index. Our, our listeners aren't typical motorists. Motorists are, our listeners are in the back of some limousines. Our listeners are right. being shuttled around in G4s and, right. and well, just I, listening to this on the, oh, well, they're on the tarmac. Well, so, you know, then diesel, which affects pricing of everything. So it may be interesting to folks who pay attention, obviously, to the investing world and, and otherwise. Um, you know, diesel, I think, is diesel supply will be constrained probably through all of 2023 and into some uh, period into 2024. And that means price of diesel, cost of diesel will also be high. Um, that creates a, a favorable margin environment for us, relatively speaking. But it will mean that those costs will stay elevated for some period of time. And I feel, you know, I'm talking and listening to lots of folks from our biggest fleet customers to the head of Opus, O-P-I-S, uh, who is, um, you know, that's one of the indices we buy and sell fuel against or to. And uh, there seems to be a consensus building amongst experts there that supply will stay constrained for a long list of reasons, from some uh, government policy, some Ukrainian war relations with the Middle East and Russia to some extent, all of those go into sort of the sausage making that suggest so long as those are out, there's factors, some or all of those factors, we will have a, a supply constraints on the diesel marketplace. And in turn, that'll keep pricing and cost high. Speaking of sausage making, my, my crack team has informed me that it is July 20th is National Hot Dog Day. Oh, thank you for that. That sounds about right. The year that I will not be having a hot dog. Maybe I'll have a pork chop on that date. <laughs> um, so... So let me get to the second. So, so what do you do when that day comes, even if it's a year or two, two years away, it sounds like when we might see a decline in diesel prices? Do I, you does your business fundamentally change in some way? Certainly your profits will. 
Well, we're, Learned you know, well. we're in an unusual spot. I mean, I, I came, we came to the company and made a whole bunch of changes in terms of the beginning of a, a comprehensive transformation. Gosh, uh, roughly th- uh, three years ago this month, actually, next month. And, you know, since then, we've really changed a whole, I mean, a comprehensive list, pretty much every corner of the company. Our stock was 890 my first day. It's 50, 60 bucks. Now we had 17 million of cash in the bank. We've got 600 some odd million now. We've really strengthened the company. I say all that because we have so much momentum from these various initiatives in each corner of the company. A, we've gotten a growth machine going. B, in terms of franchise that has a lot of momentum and acquisitions as well. So we're in a unique spot. Whenever things change a couple of years from now, we've got so much momentum happening right now, so much fruit that's about to be born, so many so many things that have been put in the oven are just about to come out and others that'll come out toward the end of next year that that momentum will carry us. So, you know, I, I'm really thinking long-term and tactically what we will do, we'll see. We'll pull levers when, when we confront that. I know my fourth month at this company, COVID came along and we made some drastic changes. And our first year here, 2020, we set an EBITDA record in, at a, in the 14 years as a public company, 2020 was an EBITDA record. 2021, we grew it by about 70%. The trailing 12 right now grows that last one by about 70%. So I think we're in a unique spot and that momentum is going to carry. So we'll, we'll address whatever we need to tactically at the time, but I think we're in a very, very unique spot to do so. Fascinating business. Um, that said, I'm still going to, when I go to my Taylor Swift concert in Nashville, I can never get these tickets purchased. I will fly, not drive. Nonetheless, I'll be looking at those truckers somewhere below me. Uh, so glad to have your time. Uh, Jonathan Perchik, uh, the CEO of Travel Centers of America. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Corey. Enjoyed it. All right, coming up next on the drill down, the bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Travel Centers of America when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to the Drill Down podcast on your smart speaker. It'll pick up right from where you left off the last time. Just ask it to play the Drill Down podcast and you'll hear our latest show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the Drill Down Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot. Isaac, you want to guess how many gallons of fuel this company sold in the last uh, 12 months? It's a big number. Oh, God. I mean, a million? 2.8 billion gallons. 2.8 wow. billion. That's the number. Wow. You know, I don't like rounded numbers because they're usually not fake. Although, you know, it's a funny thing doing a podcast, doing an audio yes. thing, because detailed numbers don't work well. Like as a concept, if I told you the number was, and I'm just making this up, 2,799,048,000, right. you start to lose the, the concept mm-hmm. of the number. Uh-huh. And yet here I am a numbers guy. But 2.3 billion, 2.3 billion uh gallons of fuel, be that uh, mostly diesel and some uh, uh, regular unleaded as well. Yeah. Or premium. Oh, I didn't even ask him about electric. Next time. See, this podcast stinks. Listen, we have to have him back. We have to have him back. Maybe someday. Are you been listening to Drill on Podcast? We're grateful for your time. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson stitches this all together. We actually record like a 14-hour show and Ben cuts it down to something tidy. In about 30, 30 minutes. <laughs> there are podcasts that do that. 
I know. <laughs> it's insane. No, we're tight, man. Yeah, Thanks for your time. I'm Corey Johnson. The production of the Business Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs> <laughs>